Well, here we are. Welcome back to Soul Practice, Raw Conversations, Real Practices. I'm Phyllis Mathis. And I'm Kathy Escobar. And we're happy to um, play with our friend Melvin Bray today. Our last episode was um, centered on internalized misogyny. Um, and that came out of a conversation um, related to a workshop that we did at the Refuge um, on toxic masculinity. And the thing that came up on that uh, topic, and some of you who listened before heard this already, was just for women, you know, what's the work? It's not on toxic masculinity. And Reagan Bird, who's an amazing consultant and organizer here in Denver, said our work is internalized misogyny. Um, and we did not process that in the group, but Phyllis and I processed it a little bit um, last episode. And everyone kind of knows like all the roads lead to these really deep <laughs> grooves mm -hmm. in our systems that are then now in our DNA that we're trying to untangle from. And it's hard and it is soul work and it's practical work. So Melvin and I go way back. We've talked about him before because we had a few episodes about the 12 steps, truth and transformation model that Melvin wrote. He's an author and a strategist and a dad and a friend and a, um, a dreamer of what could be. But I also think, Melvin, you're like a super realist too, which is super important in the world. Like the dreamy dream is great, but real life is really hard. And the 12 step truth and transformation model, which is modified 12 steps related to white supremacy and all the supremacies um, are real. And so Melvin is going to share with us today about a group that has been working on the 12 steps in Atlanta, um, a group of black men working on patriarchy using the steps. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to toss it over to you. Tell us more about that. We're just glad you're here to play with us today. So first, it is uh, such a pleasure and a privilege to be here with you, Kathy, and you, Phyllis, um, today. Thank you for inviting me. Um, and the, the the group you're referencing, so so uh, for, for those who are hearing about it for the first time, um, the 12-step the, the work, the Truth and Transformation Model, um, is is written uh, as a guide for kind of breaking the uh, the 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 isms that 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 claim power over us, uh, and um, those exist. the The twelve steps exist absent any particular inequity, right? Like so, so, so you know, they they are useful whether it be racism whether it be sexism, whether it be queer antagonism, ecological disregard, right? Like the, the, all, all of these isms that exercise this particular power and, and put us in these particular power arrangements that we get used to, that, that, that we form habits around. Um, the, the 12 steps are meant to help us identify that and then, and, and then uh, unlearn it. Um, and so this particular group, um, which, which, uh, it was it, it actually started last year and we and and, and uh, actually we did our pilot, I guess, our pilot circle last year. Um, it, it was a black men's accountability circle. And uh, and 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 after the circle, we have now moved into uh, a kind of uh, our post trying to figure out what our post 
uh, circle rhythms are with keeping up with folk. And I'm not so good at that. Um, and then, and, and then we're also trying to do a little podcast called beyond being a good one. Uh, that my 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 uh, co-facilitator uh, Sterling Freeman, who is from uh, North Carolina, we're 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 we we're, we've just done some recording around that recently, and uh, it it's not located. It's not a physical group. We did it during COVID, right? Like so, all of us were virtual then, right? And so it's it, it's it's black men who are leaders all around the country in different in different fields, um, healthcare clergy, folk who are doing uh, in the philanthropic space. Uh, Sterling and I both come out of uh, kind of uh, design work, uh, design facilitation. Um, we we are all trying to trying to find our way forward together. And I say that intentionally that way because I am no expert, right? All I know is that equity is a practice, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's that's all I know. And so I try to put myself in situations where I'm trying to practice equity um, and I know how important it is to do it with uh, trusted folk uh, who are trying to take that journey together. And so we, we, are, we are facilitators in as much as we kind of convene the group, right? Like, but, uh, so we're hosts in that, it, it, as it relates to that, we kind of convene the group and keep the thing moving, but uh, we are not the ones, we, we are not, in any by any stretch of an imagination, an expert or even uh, in incredibly experienced around around mm -hmm. the work we are trying to grow along with the folk we do the work with. Well, I only have about twenty five questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've just been so curious about um, and so excited about a group of men. Um, in a 12-step format, mm. because I've been used to your 12-step format around mm. these kind of social issues. Mm. Um, and I'm so curious what that's like for you. But I'm also wondering, um, my big question is, do you see, I know you get out and about and you work with lots of different groups of people. Mm. So um, do you see Black men struggle with the patriarchy in a different way? Like, are there distinctives about um, Black men who are trying to unpack this versus, I don't know, are there white men who are trying to unpack this? Too? I mean, are there? Do they exist? Show them to me. Do you have any any observation? I know you, you said you're not an expert at all, but I'm so curious about what would these two parallel groups look like? And I'm yeah. curious about, uh, for yeah. Black men, what are the distinctives around the patriarchy that, that seem to be germane to, to, your, um, to your demographic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. There's a, what's the brother's name? Oh, man, John's, his last name is John's, and I'm blanking on his first name. I want to say, um, but he he talks about I, I, years ago. I came across his work. Um, he's a scholar, and he talks about this idea of targeted universalism, right? So you know, in all of us who are indoctrinated in 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 kind of Western culture, we understand that part of the work of colonization was this this work of 
going all over the world and saying, you know what? Europeans have it. They know, right? <laughs> and so anything that anybody knew in Europe was universalized hmm. to be true about everyone all over the world, right? Now understand what this meant, right? What this means is even in as much as colonizing Europeans thought of themselves as being at kind of the the high end of the totem pole of what it meant to be human and everybody else being a class below going down that class, right? Even as, in as much as they thought of themselves as somehow being separate from all the black and brown folk around the country, they still thought they had the inside track of mm -hmm. understanding all the black and brown folk across the, across the world, right? Like, like, so the idea was you could be an expert in Africans even from Europe, and you could be an expert in, indi in, in indigenous Americans, even from Europe, right? Like, so this idea of universalization is, is, is steeped deep in kind of our, our, our Western cultural heritage and is a part of why we learn the way we learn in schools, even today, that reinforces this notion that whatever it is that people from the West believe to be true about anybody is true, right? So mm -hmm. universalization. Well, this other scholar that I came across, uh, whose name I should remember right now, um, <laughs> um, talked about targeted universalism. And basically what he was saying was this. He says, listen, this, this kind of colonization and universalization and, and discrimination and all the things that come out of it have created losses right? Just like it's created gains for those who are privileged within within uh, Western society, it has created losses for anybody else that, that doesn't fit that privilege category, anybody else who has been historically marginalized. And if you're going to correct for those losses, if you're going to make up those losses, if you're going to repair the damage that was done in creating those losses and maintaining those losses over time, both for those who are historically marginalized and for those who are historically privileged. If you're going to make up for the losses that everyone has suffered, because even the historically privileged suffer loss, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to make up for those loss losses, what you got to do is you have to target those who have been most harmed. Mm -hmm. And if it, it's kind of like trying to get a blanket to cover your entire body, Right. You can't just pull it all up to your neck and only care about the top part of you, because if you do, then your feet are hanging out. Right. What you got to do is you got to get the blanket all the way under your feet. Right. And then for some reason, that same blanket that couldn't couldn't cover your feet before, for some reason, if you can tuck it up under your feet and get your feet up under the blanket, for some reason, it reaches all the way to your neck. And it, it's amazing. It's almost like magic. Right. And so that's targeted universalism, this idea that if we can stretch the benefits, the advantages, the 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 uh, the, the, the blessings to those who are furthest from them, mm -hmm. then somehow that will cover everyone on the spectrum of, of, of benefit and privilege over time. All of that to explain that part of the what's maybe unique about the Black experience of patriarchy and sexism is that it is compounded by other inequities. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. 
it is mixed up and intermingled with other things, right? There are other things that, that think other other senses of of internalized uh, damage that ha that that's a part of it. So internalized racism, right? The harm that Christianity has done trying to be on top, the harm that the the harms. So all of that stuff creates this particular milieu of of, of supremacist logic that then reinforces notions of supremacy around uh, maleness, mm. right? And so part of the work is, is of, of undoing our own sexism is also undoing our own internalized racism, mm -hmm. right? Um, that, that becomes part of the work and it's part of the way into the work. But what I have found is this, right? And this is why I mentioned targeted universalism. What works for those who are most harmed and most impacted under these systems of oppression, these systems of inequity, these power dynamics that produce these negative results that produce this harm, what, what works for those who have been most impacted at the intersections of all the different ones is the same thing that will eventually work for those who have been in different ways privileged in the work. And so part of me doing this work with black men gives me insight into the work that white men need to do as well. Yeah. Such as. <laughs> so what I is just, that work? <laughs> I just really wanna know, you know, what Ooh. what is it white men in particular need to know, but what, what are some of the like, dis interesting bits of, so first or bit details you got to accept that this these system of the this system of inequitable power exists right mm -hmm. we're we're raised to believe that it doesn't exist mm -hmm. that women yeah. have just as many opportunities as men that 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 women uh women have no problems raising their voice and speaking up so 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 what do you mean that somehow they're being uh, marginalized and, and and oppressed in some kind of way, uh, recognizing that it exists is a huge is the huge kind of first step. Um, the second is recognizing that this is not about how you feel towards women, right? Um, this is about the systems of power that allow you a greater advantage in both your dynamic directly with women and within the larger society, right? There are things that are excused for men that would never be excused for women. There are things that men are allowed to fail at that women are not allowed to fail at, right? These are all power. There are things that men are pushed towards in terms of their education that w versus the stuff that women are, are often pushed towards in terms of education. Same thing with opportunities in the workplace and so on and so forth. There are decisions that are made in the absence of women that then benefit men and people with whom they identify, right? That, that women just don't get access to whether it be in men's clubs or out on the golf course or whatever the case may be. And this power keeps moving around this maze that we've created out of society. And women keep chasing uh, this, this power within this maze because they don't want to be, to, to be in other, it, 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 they don't want to be left out. 
But then what happens is quite often access to that power is predicated on how well do you approximate maleness? Yeah. How well do you pro approximate masculinity in its toxic forms, right? So these are all things that men have to start unlearning. And once they be are able to see it in the world, then they got to be able to see it in themselves and, and how this thing has damaged them over time. And after that, then they have to be willing to, in solidarity with women, begin to, begin to uh, first kind of reorder those power dynamics and then repair the damage that's been done uh, while those power dynamics have been allowed to, ex uh, to persist and then reimagine ways of relating to one another that are more equitable. So this is the work writ, writ large. And like you say, uh, it, it starts with practices, right? Small pra practices, small and large in both personal spaces and in where, where we have structural influence if we want to dismantle the, the systems of power that are at work. Okay, I just need to say, name this out loud. Like, I literally feel like crying. Mm. And so not white women's tears, <laughs> I swear. <laughs> Please, no, that's not what it is. in this. But moment. you know, I feel like crying a lot of times as we're doing this work. Yeah. So I, I, I get that. Thank right? you. Like I, I spend a lot of, and I'm not a crier. I haven't mm -hmm. been a crier since, since being a child. Um, yeah. But I, I have spent more time crying in the past few years mm. um, uh, than, than ever before in my life. Um, just coming face to face with the ways in which my heart that tenderness inside of me that was a part of my childhood that I set aside figuring that it was the only way I could survive, yeah. trying to reclaim those pieces of myself and, 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 and then learning to recognize the hurt in other men out of which they act mm. because they've been taught that that tenderness, that that attention to to others that that caring about more than themselves is a liability. They've been taught to play king of the mountain, right? Which which as a kid we used to play whenever it snowed, right? Like like and we'd have these big the big the plows would come through and be the create these big snow drifts and 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 we would climb to the top and push everybody down. Mm -hmm. who, who 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 tried to climb up, right? Like in 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 the goal was the tear folk each other down or to push each other down. We've been playing that in our lives, even with those we care about the most, those closest to us. Um, and it has not uh, produced healthy or, or whole outcomes either in ourselves or in those we love. And so, uh, yeah, I, I come close to crying quite often now, Kathy. So I well, get it. And thank you. I mean, that's the part, like what I kind of feel inside of me as you're speaking about um, the work that you're doing and that, you know, it's, it is like core, core work. You're not arriving. You're not like going through this process. Like, okay, now we got this, you know, it's like, it is so like this soul deeper, deeper thing of untangling from. And I think as you were talking, I think the part that for me, in my experience, bumping in against patriarchy forever, but certainly in the Christian system, 
which mm. I've been leading in for so long, it just it just gets fucking old. Honestly, yeah, it does. It yeah. just gets old in kind of like that. You're valued for the king of the making it to the top of the snow heap. And then for us, you know, we're we're valued for pushing it down as far as we can push it. And so what you're just saying out loud and just the knowledge that your group exists, that's the emotion I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. The knowledge that your group exists of as best you can to sit in a circle or on Zoom, however you do it, but this equal circle of men coming from all different life experiences and realities and really processing through this as Black men, like it does a lot for me. So thank Mm -hmm. you. It does a lot for me. And it's hard for me not to be pissed off at everybody else for not doing it, which is actually like a recovery principle is that you're not supposed to do that. (laughs) You're supposed to focus on your work and like where the work is. And you're the ones putting your butt in the chair. and We're putting our butts in different chairs um, on the anti-racism work that we're doing. And I go to recovery for codependency, you know, like that's the work, but I just want to name that that feeling is really real because we need more spaces. We need more people to do the work that you all are doing. Um, and I just, I have a question about this, the good ones, like beyond a good one. Is that what it's called? Beyond being a good one. Okay, because this is really hard. Like we say this all the time. We're like, we're circling, but they're the good ones. Like yeah. they're in the group. They're, yeah. they're the good ones. Yeah. So just tell more about what that feels like. I'd like to hear more about the group, like some of the things that maybe are emerging for you and for the some themes that kind of keep coming up. You've said you kind of touched on a few, but I'd love to hear more. So 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 that primary theme. Uh, the the title actually comes from Sterling, uh, my my partner uh, in, in this work, Sterling uh, Freeman. Um, beyond being a good one, you know, I don't know. So the the language of they're a good one and being a good one is it, I I think it it crosses cultural boundaries, right? Like like we 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 we're often trying to identify the good. So Sterling comes at it just recognizing the currency that that language has uh, for sure. For me, the reason it resonated so strongly is I know in kind of the the work of steps four, five, and six, right? Like the self-awareness steps in, in our truth and transformation model. Um, the work there is, is now that you've recognized uh, the way power and privilege operates in the world, now you got to recognize the way that power and privilege operates in 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 yourself. Mm. And and by the time you get to about step 6, the the thing that I found tugging at me and I heard in conversation with other people who 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 were engaging the steps around uh different sets of isms, right? Was that the the thing that kept coming up was but I'm good. I'm a good person. And I realize how distracting the need to see oneself as a good person or to be seen by others as a good person actually is to the work of unlearning inequity, right? Like, like it, it is distracting. It is in, in, it keeps in place the same junk 
that you're trying to get over because part of the part of the work of truth and transformation is recognizing that as a person privileged by a particular system you have learned that you are the one that's important mm. that seeking your own gain is priority you have learned to center yourself. Well, if you move from centering yourself at other people's expense to centering yourself because you want to preserve your own sense of, 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 of being a good one, even if you're not, if you're not doing it out of the same kind of uh blatant avarice, right? Like, like, like more for me, right? Like it's still the same centering of self. It's still the same seeking of one's own comfort, right? You may have, it may be kinder and gentler, right? You may have moved down the spectrum from being just self-absorbed to just being, uh, to being thoughtful, but still wanting, want, wanting to make sure that you, you preserve something for yourself but it's still that same focus. And it's that refocusing, it's that recentering that's actually the work that's trying to be done in you. Hmm. The idea isn't that that, that somehow you, you become destitute and, and, and completely disregard your own bent, your, your, your own uh, uh, worth and, and, and provision, but the idea is that we, in being others interested, we preserve not only for ourselves, but for others at the same time. In being self-interested, we whether we want to or not, we end up disregarding other people because at some point, your self-interest diverges from other people's interests. Hmm. Whereas you can't seek the good of others and not also seek the good of yourself. Right. Like like the two go hand in hand. Right. You're only in a position to do, to seek the good of others if you're also taking care of your own health at the same time. Right. Like so. So, you know, it's it, 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 it's really to your point, it's really core work. Right. Like because we've been we've been preaching the benefit of self-interest all of our lives, right? Like we've been hearing about it all of our lives and, and it feels just natural to us. And in Western culture, universalize the idea that everybody seeks their own self-interest. That is not true. It has never been true in your lives. Poets don't write poetry seeking their own self-interest. It is never paid to write poetry, mm. right? <laughs> Firefighters don't run into burning buildings out of a, a self-interest. It has never, self-preservation says stay out of the burning building, but people do it all the time, right? Like, so they're, they're, we see people who violate their own self-interest all the time, but we keep rehearsing the same thing. And then we wonder why it creates all these, all this harm all around the world, right? So that's one of the major themes, right? Like that's that's the major theme. And one of the things we're, we're constantly trying to interrogate in ourselves. And the way we do it is just by telling stories to one another that confess the truth of our lived experience. And sometimes we're ashamed of what it is that has become so normal and habitual within us. 
And sometimes, sometimes when we're tempted to pat each other on the back, we've given each other permission to say, hey, but but what about this? Right. And what about that? Um, uh, but in in this sharing of stories with one another, in our circle, we use a practice uh, where, where, you know, we, we talk about a challenge that we faced and we get this from uh, the organization Relational Uprising. If you don't know about it, please visit Relational Uprising. I believe it's .com. It might be .org. But if you type into Google Relational Uprising, it'll, they'll come up. But uh, my friends there, Cedar and, and Lucian, they, they, they have this storytelling practice. Talk about a challenge you faced, supports you, you, you've, uh, you've received in meeting that challenge, and a lesson, a, 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 a value, value is the word they use, a value that you take from, from the challenge. And so we keep, we work those same questions and we'll make them specific about whatever we're talking about that night. And, 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 and as the brothers in the circle interact around it, we develop a sense of, of, uh, of, of uh, honesty with one another. And then we also benefit from knowing that we are not alone because part of this storytelling practice that Lucian and, and Cedar ha have teased out is one important thing that we do is we hold each other in our own stories. So we try not to let, we, we, we do, we, we take time to resonate with one another in our own stories. And just that habit of pausing to say, I see you. Not I got advice for you. Not I got a better story than that, right? Not, oh, I don't even know how you could ever deal with that kind of thing. But really just holding each other in the truth of our own stories, talking about the points at which we connected with one another. That, that simple act then lets us know we are not alone in this work and that we have the resources within our, both within ourselves and in, within this community we've built to do continue doing this work together and unlearning this stuff that's gotten up in us. Hmm. I'm just um, having lots of thoughts here, but um, I, one of them is I'm just becoming so much more and more and more aware of the, um, and I love the phrase that you coined, um, supremacist logic mm, that's like, not me that's my friend lisa anderson i got to give her proper oh, credit um, okay lisa okay. anderson from auburn seminary uh it leads a circle called the sojourner truth leadership circle mm. where it, it, in support of black women who 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 are who are who are leaders in their various spaces, but also need to know that the work that they do needs to needs to be for themselves as well. Yeah. Um, uh, she 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 was the one that gave me the term supremacist logic, and it just fits. Oh, so and it's well. taken me probably you know two and a half years of hearing it again and again and again to let it seep in, and then to become aware of how embedded that supremacist logic is. And when you're talking about um, our self-interest being the core of our myth mm -hmm. uh, in our, our white supremacist society, mm -hmm. I'm just really going, well, shit, <laughs> you know, I'm seeing it everywhere now. Um, and 
now I've lost the point that I was trying to make. I just wanted to underscore that. Yeah, no, that, that's my, I could do that all by myself. Um, but I, I uh, was just resonating, I guess. Um, couple of, so I, re- I recovered it here. So the whole, and one of the handouts that we've worked on in the 12 step group for anti-racism is the, the characteristics of white supremacist logic, like all of the characteristics that we were, have grown up with and how toxic they are to everyone. And yet we can't stop trying to preserve what self-interest we can grab. So it's all based on such a, such a brutal system that we're kind of all caught in and participate in because we don't know anything else. But I, I was just, as you were talking, I was just thinking about how sitting in, in circles, <laughs> sitting in circles, telling stories, yeah. challenging each other is actually a microcosm, like you, you might have already said this, and I'm just repeating what you said, but it's a microcosm of a different system. It's an alternative way to step out of the, you know, the rat race, the the ladder system, and to practice the vulnerability and the tenderness and the presence and the challenge and all of that um, is very countercultural. Hmm. And I, I think as I sometimes get this feeling of hopelessness around the society that we live in and how will it ever change? And then we're talking about building your own fucking tables instead of trying to get seat at the table that exists. You know, we got to kind of build our own tables or find our own. Um, But just as you were talking, I was, I was thinking about these are the practices that are, um, that are actually countercultural to that and nourishing a different way. Yeah. Yeah. It's ancestral wisdom, right? Like that we're, we're we're drawing into this moment, right? Like, you know, we don't we don't need to uh, idealize our ancestors and act like they got everything right. But there there were things about community that they understood better than our institution driven society, right? Um, uh, Maladoma Somme. Uh, before uh, becoming an ancestor, talked about um, this idea of the of Western culture trying to replace community with institutions. Mm-hmm. And what they succeeded in doing, of course, what Western culture has succeeded in doing is uh, creating a thing that can replicate itself generation after generation, right? But it it, it is it is not very adaptive and skilled it is adaptive in one way but not adaptive in 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 the human way of of being able to hold one another accountable of being able to recognize when something has gone wrong of having practices and ritual and ceremony for healing and for grieving and for growing and for celebrating right like like institutions don't do that well right and so so part of the work is recovering our our, our, our that ancestral wisdom that said hey this is how we make community 
And this is how we draw one another into community. Um, and this is how we find healing in community and support one another for growth in community. That's that's part of this work. Oh my gosh, the hardest part. And this is just true about small practice. And so many are grouped the same way. And we were just with Melvin at our 12 Step for Anti-Racism group for a special night together last week. There's so much in here. Um, and, and so that's why this is lifetime work. You know, yes. that's why you don't go one through 12. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm done. You I'm know, done. <laughs> I, I'm done with my checklist. And that, yes. <laughs> and that is white supremacist culture to the max. Okay. And this is like a piece of this whole thing. It's like, oh my gosh, we can just learn it in our head. Yeah. And this work is, is so much deeper than that. And so I just want to um, name this as we transition is that um, Melvin's work is beautiful and hard work. (laughs) And we sometimes say, you know, the 12 steps are awkward, but the 12 steps of recovery and Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps truth and transformation model, the stuff you're doing, the same thing in your group, it is challenging. It is that. It is deep and it's challenging, but it's totally worth it because this is how we'll change things. And so um, before we do our last little wrap up, I just want to say this, Mel, you can find Melvin um, on the website is Collaborinth Consulting. I'll put it in the episode stuff.com. Um, and, uh, Melvin's wearing a shirt right now. You all can't see it, but it's one of my favorite quotes by him. (laughs) Equity is a practice. Four words. Four words. (laughs) Equity is a practice. And so on the site, there's like a place for swag. And this is a way you can support Melvin's work. And then one of the pieces and how he's involved with our group is just continuing to hold space. And so he does that for groups and organizations and people who are trying in community to change structurally power, ultimately. Yeah. That's what it's about. And so contact him that way. Um, And then Relational Uprising, I just want to say it is relationaluprising.org. It's really important, I think, for anybody listening to just go check it out. Because just those three simple questions, you've done that in a workshop for us, have been amazing. So um, as we transition, this is something like we always do. And that's just like, this is soul work you're in. And for everyone listening you know, male and female and everyone in different things. We have a lot of white people listening, you know, like we've just got a mix of um, people that are connected is um, what something for the soul that we can kind of hold on to and remember just a little kernel and maybe one practice related to breaking down this ism um, that people could maybe practice. So I'm going to turn this back on you all too. So so be thinking as as I offer up something. Um, for the soul, um, usually equity as a practice is kind of the the thing I go to relative to the soul because I think it it has to it has to settle in in order to actually have meaning. It's not just as simple as, as the thing, but um, 
what I'll say here is this is not about being perfect. Mm. This is about staying true and seeing it to the end. One of the spirituals that comes out of my cultural experience um, is a verse that says, I've opened my mouth to the Lord, right? Which in other words, you know, I've declared something to be true. I've opened my mouth to the Lord and I won't turn back. I will go. I shall go to see what the end is going to be. And that has to be the commitment. Part of equity as a practice is making that declaration. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay true to this thing and see how it's going to turn out. So that's one. I want to put that in your spirit. Um, and, and then practice, um, I, I want to turn you back to this kind of storytelling practice and this resonating piece, right? Um, particularly for men, this is really important and, and probably is similarly important for anyone who is privileged in an inequitable power dynamic. But as a man, one of the things I've learned to do is to subordinate my emotions. My, my therapist told me, you know, men get what? Five basic emotions that they get to have, right? Like, whereas if you look at the emotion wheel, and if you've never seen this thing called the emotion wheel, you should check it out, right? Like, like mm. emotions are endless. <laughs> and, and, and a buddy of mine who's a therapist tells me that they, they are neither good nor bad, they simply are signals to us about some need. And if we learn to interpret the need that they are trying to signal, we, then, then we, we, we have something to embrace in it. And so this emotional work is something that, that, uh, that I found is essential to the work of reordering power dynamics because you got to know what to do with your emotions. So like finding a therapist mm. or someone you, who, who, whose insight around emotions you trust is deeply important. But this other practice of resonating, not missing the moment, not rushing past the moment to get to advice, but rather sitting there and holding a person in their truth I haven't done it yet. I haven't succeeded yet, but I'm trying to learn how to incorporate that in my daily life. And this practice of it within the circle is helping to put that in my body so that when my daughters and my son and my spouse come to me and are telling me about something, I don't rush into trying to solve and fix and all that kind of stuff. And when friends are talking to me, I, I pause to hear what their heart is saying and not just what their words are saying. I'm no good at this, right? Don't get it wrong, but at least I'm starting to recognize mm -hmm. it. And that comes from having practiced it yeah. in these circles. So those are the two things. Mm, so good. So good. Um, Phyllis, the soul. Well, I sort of feel like I say this every time, um, but it's it was really clear to me again today that um, the essential nature of our soul, of 
any human's soul is counter to our cultural supremacist logic. It always is. And so the, the sense that, but the hope is that as we listen more and more to the, to the actual values of the soul, they emerge in this way that can create something new. So it's, it's in there. It's just counter cultural. Mm. Ah, so, you know, everyone knows I'm like the practicer. That's my thing. Um, but I, it's, so the thing that comes to mind as I'm listening to this conversation is something that we can practice. And Melvin already said it. I'm just going to say it again. Like, show up. Mm. Show up. Humility, not shame, is the path here. And so what is whatever showing up looks like, and I believe in community, but like it's in a conversation, it's to ourselves, whatever that showing up and just notice how shame wants to stop us and that what it looks like to let our defenses down and, and maybe move towards greater humility by just sharing honestly in some circle, in some way and see what it feels like. Um, okay. So we want to have like 20 more hours of conversations, (laughs) (laughs) but thank you for being here with us. We'll start, we'll start a group. And we'll do a whole podcast, Melvin and the White Ladies. We would have fun. <laughs> oh, we would. We would. <laughs> but thank you so much for being with us again. It's just always a pleasure. Yes. Yeah, so good. Total gift. You. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. All right. Thanks blessings for listening. on your work. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Hold on. Oh. Hold on. I have to stop this recording.